Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 16 of the PDH Pod, the one and only Magic the Gathering podcast dedicated to the total exploration of the Pauper Commander format. I am your host, Brad Drack V. So let's see what my co-hosts from the East Coast are up to. First, Dave the Alcadron Necron. How was your week? Uh, really good. Uh, I'm still settling, in, settling into the new job, and it is uh, mm-hmm. super, extremely fun. I've been teaching online courses for like two years now, and I didn't realize how soul-draining that was until I spent <laughs> a week in a classroom full of like 20 like crazy, enthusiastic, like yelling 14-year-olds, and it's just filling yeah. me with life. I get like even, in front of actual human beings. Human beings that talk to me. This is like about <laughs> energy. Yeah, crazy, yeah, right? Yeah, like the energy's the energy's crazy and I'm just like feeding off of it like a vampire. It's spectacular. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm glad to hear it. Next up is our resident PDH Space Marine. Liam, how's it going? What you got for us? Uh it's it's going all right. Uh my week is probably not as interesting as Dave's was. I'm coming up <laughs> I don't on think anybody's is. I'm coming up on the uh end of the observational period of my uh, year of student teaching. I will be moving into full time in my mentor's classroom in the beginning slash middle of October. So yeah, it's I'm preparing. I'm preparing for that transition. It's not a congrats. Okay. I still got I still got nine months. A pre congrats. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. But past my life, this week in the world of magic, uh, Poposphere, people got four out of the roughly 17 cards banned that they wanted banned. So those of you who... Yeah, the hammer. The hammer fell pretty hard. Uh, it, only, it only fell out on four of the 17 cards. Come on. They could yep. they could do better. <laughs> but, but you know, what they did take out was yeah, four cards sure. that take the initiative. So for those who are maybe unfamiliar with the 60-card popper world, the initiative is wrecking... 60 card Papa. Well, or was wrecking. Yeah, hands Be- down. Like, because, turn one, just split it in half. Yeah, turns out uh, mechanics designed for multiplayer, pretty freaking good in single player, 1v1. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, the initiative uh, got banned. Uh, well, the Grixis cards did. The uh, the white, the green, and the colorless one, somehow the colorless one, are still all perfectly legal in Papa. I look forward to them yep. getting banned yep. eventually, too. I, I saw someone post just this afternoon how they were turn twoing the initiative yeah. with Avenging Hunter. Yeah, I like don't get me wrong. I love the initiative in PDH. Fantastic mechanic. Can't wait for more cards. Yeah, absolutely. I hate the initiative in sixty card Papa. Please never print this mechanic again, wizard. <laughs> and That's then terrible. in other news, the other ten cards that are still legal from last spring, the bridges. Please, wizards, yep. ban these. Nope. Still the, legal. The brewer yeah, in me loves them. Don't get me wrong, and I love them in 100%. PDH, but I cannot stand these. These are enabling four-color affinity piles still, even after a Tog and Disciple bans, and that's a problem. For those who don't think it's a problem, think back to the Battle for Zendikar, Khans of Tarkir standard where fetches were legal. Yeah, one of the issues with fetches is the amount of shuffling, but the other issue with fetches is enabling four- and five-color piles. Mm-hmm. These bridges enable four and five color piles. It's garbage. Please ban. Thank you. Yeah, literally, like 
a minute after the the announcement went public, I saw like three tweets in a row. They were like, "Well, I guess we're sleeving up dust to dust again." All four of them in yeah. the sideboard. Yeah, like it. it and it's so funny too with these initiative cards. I think I had three or four people on Twitter were like, when I retweeted whatever tweet about the bands and stuff, I had three or four like EDH devotees like comment like. What are these cards? I have never yeah. heard of these cards. What what is initiative? And and then I was listening to the Goldfish podcast this morning, and they had the they had to read the cards on the air because they had no idea what they were. Yeah, like <laughs> and like like I've never heard of this yeah. card, but somehow it broke Popper. It's Popper is Popper is more fragile than people think. It doesn't take much to break it. It really doesn't. It really doesn't. And then I, I kind of want to put this out for the listeners because I this question got asked and answered more than I was expecting it to. The sixty card the, the, the band the sixty card popper bands in no way affect PDH. Yeah. Like they just don't. So Correct. There's nothing nothing more to it than that, yep. really. They just, they just don't. Because yep. I heard I had a couple people like, Well, I guess I gotta take my my deck apart now. I'm like, No. Yeah, no, 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 no. That's not how P- it works. PDH isn't even on Wizards Radar. Thank thank all of the magic gods for that. <laughs> um so yeah, right. like you're you're still good to play these in our favorite. Yeah. One hundred percent. We have a we have a separate rules committee. That is not affiliated with Wizards. Uh, I know this because I'm on it. None of us, none of us have ever considered the vague possibility of banning initiative cards. No, it's fantastic. The only banned cards in Popper: Ristic Study, Mystic Remora for multiplayer. Uh, the only banned card in one v one PDH is Oubliette. They should take that. There you have it. Short and simple. It's a very, very small list. Yep. I love it. Mm-hmm. I like that they're all enchantments. Yeah. <laughs> Play more yeah. enchantments. Apparently they can't point. be removed. That's a good point. Yep, they're really hard to get rid of. Oh, they can't be removed until now. Until now. Uh, right. well, that's there's... that's enough about Papa Bands. Brad, how was your week? Uh, my week was it was pretty good. Just um, did some work, did some streams, did my first Monday stream last night because I'm going to start opening up Monday nights as well as Saturday nights. Tried my Cormella brew and just got almost laughed out of the table i mean it was it was pretty bad (laughs) but it was was fun it definitely needs some tweaks i'd like to keep the deck it just it needs some more work i have the problem with Mm -hmm. whenever i pick a synergy or a tribe or a strategy i want to go with even in 60 card i I did this 60 card popper I, i would jam as many of those cards into that deck as possible leaving no room for actual good cards (laughs) so i need to hone that back a little bit probably cut that in half and then work for you know kind of build it back up again other than that just just had work and then yeah just work i guess pretty boring on these parts out in the old midwest it was 100 degrees today so that was terrible yeah i, I don't have the interesting lives that my co-hosts do but yeah i think that's enough about my boring life we're gonna move on to the main topic and the main topic this week are the warhammer 40k decks like we're not an EDH podcast, but we're going to talk about the precons a little bit. Uh, the Warhammer 40K decks are part of their universes beyond products that we uh, Watsi has put out. They teamed up with the folks at Games Workshop. And they brought us four decks. I haven't totally looked through all four of them. I've just sort of been following the the spoilers on Twitter as as they as they hit my timeline or whatever. But they are loaded with a lot of powerful cards. Really, at, at all rarities, like everybody's sort of freaking out about them. Like not they're powerful, but not super overpowered. Like they're not going to break anything, I don't think. But everybody's really excited about them from what I've seen. A lot of really good reprints. So we kind of decided to make an entire show out of these decks uh, because normally in this line of you know this line of precons is is different from what we normally get and. 
it's going to be like a mini set review, if you it's, will. It's like, yeah. We don't normally get this many cards for our format from pre-cons, basically. So we got a handful of new commanders that we're going to go over, some good reprints, some downshifts, and then literally today, as we're recording this, the Infinity spoilers are starting. So yeah. that'll be coming up pretty soon, too. How you guys feel about space carnivals? <laughs> I, I honestly don't know yet. Like, I... There is a card called Space Bellerin. Yeah, don't, don't, don't even, like, all I have to say is I woke up this morning, checked spoilers, saw Space Bellerin, and closed my phone. And that was I, it, I huh? didn't even read it until this afternoon. I was like, nope, I'm, I'm not reading the rest of that card. Stop. So I, I have been very, very invested and a huge proponent of the unsets for as long as they've existed. I, I was at the, the first unglued pre-release at Gen Con in the 90s, nice. Mark Rosewater was head judge wandering around in a chicken suit. Like, I've been, I've been there. It was beautiful. I loved it. This one, they're changing a lot of things, and I'm not sure I'm into it anymore. Like, I don't like the black borderedness. I don't like yeah. a lot of the like mechanic. Like, I don't think I like attractions much. That seems weird. Uh, yeah, I don't attractions. Know. What, what, seem like I think, beefed up contraptions yeah they're they're like contraptions but somehow even more weird yeah like i'm not i don't <laughs> like contraptions were like vaguely sort of fine attractions seem like yeah they really packed a lot of weirdness into these cards i hate that yeah. some of the attractions are that seems bizarre yeah that that is bizarre like i was looking just scrolling through the spoilers today and there was it was confusing like there was acorns and yeah. ovals and black borders and silver borders like and... we're I'm I'm confident we're going to talk a lot more about this in a future episode, but right oh, for sure. right now, my current impression is uh, sus. And, and I'm in the same boat. <laughs> as us. I've, I've always loved on sets, but I just I this set is yeah. This set is a little un even for un. Yeah. But yeah. So let's get into these precons. Let's dis yeah. dismantle them a little bit and get to cards that actually matter for us in our lovely format. I, I don't know if you guys wanted to say anything. I do want to let our listeners know that I don't know anything about Warhammer. I don't play it. I've sat at the LGS while an event or a game or whatever you call it was happening, and it looked really cool, and I didn't understand the language, but as an outsider, it seems really fun. It seems really cool. I like the look. Like I like the aesthetics of the game, but other than that, I'm I'm not a lore person. I don't know anything about what's going on, so most of these cards, if they are relevant to the lore, are going to be lost on me. I'll add that I know a little bit about the lore. Like I, I know who Cinch, Nurgle, and Corn are, but I don't, I don't know a lot. I've never played Warhammer. I've, I've played some Vermintide. I'm really looking forward to Darktide. I also love the aesthetic, but this is not a game that I'm very into. Yeah, and yeah. on the flip side, I am completely and definitely into Warhammer. Um, I'm not. <laughs> uh, I have, I have no idea what's going on. The closest I can say I've ever been to a Warhammer game was, I think, the last time I visited my cousins. They had some stuff out from the night before, but I don't know Warhammer. I don't. <laughs> um, so this is this is an interesting thing, kind of looking at it through a magic lens, and I, I have a bunch of mm -hmm. mixed feelings. It, you know, and I imagine a lot of diehard Warhammer fans are looking at magic the same way. Like, yeah, <laughs> my my friends play it, and I've seen it, but it's a whole different language. Which is one of the things that I like really love about the Warhammer set is like when when the Walking Dead Secret Layer came out, 
like there was a lot of grief about it on the the wider internet about magic magic players being really upset about it but like i think what a lot of upset magic players overlooked about that is that it sold significantly more than any other secret layer before it and mm-hmm. overwhelmingly it sold to people who didn't play magic so this was yeah. as as a method of community outreach to bring other people into the game to get new players to get new blood to get people really excited about it it was a wild like unprecedented success and like i i oh, think that sure. warhammer 40k these commander decks i think they're going to do the same thing i think that yeah. warhammer 40k is a population of like egregious extreme nerds who are used to spending absurd <laughs> amounts of money on their hobbies uh-huh. which yeah. is i th- like i think this is the population that that wants to, like wants to court and i think this is a great yeah, way to court them. this is a For this sure. is a beautiful love letter to warhammer 40k fans i think so i'm, yeah, I'm excited so. about it the the one i sorry i lied earlier the one thing i'm familiar about with warhammer is the cost of the game yeah um yeah oh yeah that's that's the one thing everyone will tell you first and foremost yeah. For, for anyone who's unfamiliar with the cost of Warhammer, think of it this way. For every penny you have spent on Magic, your Warhammer counterpart has spent probably a dollar. And that's not even an exaggeration. Because if, if you follow Mark Rosewater, you know that a very small percentage of the Magic population follows Magic online anywhere. Whether that is the official mothership, whether that is their favorite podcast, whether that's their favorite YouTube channel. A very small portion, I think it's estimated to be less than 15% of the Magic population, follows Magic Online. So, wow. like, think about how much money you spend on the game. There are people that spend significantly less on Magic. You, as an enfranchised mm-hmm. player, every penny you spend is a dollar that an enfranchised Warhammer player spends. So we need to talk about uh, Popper Warhammer. Like let's say Ooh. let's say I was interested in Warhammer, but I was super poor, and liked playing pauper formats with only commons. Is mm-hmm. what, real is, basic? Is that a thing? I don't like, know. Genuine <laughs> question. <have> no idea. <laughs> genuine question. War, to the audience. War, is that a thing? Listeners, Warhammer listeners, fans, get at us. Let us know. How do I yeah, play like, pauper Warhammer? Warhammer? Yeah, like 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 do we, I? I don't know because I know there are restrictions when it comes to building. Like when it, I don't know what it's, it's like your your base building or your 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 creature building, whatever it's called, it might be army building. I don't know. I know there are restrictions, like 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 basically legendary restrictions, where like you can only have one of a thing or two of a thing. I know it's supposed to be based on like the size of the unit or whatever. Mm-hmm. Where like tanks are bigger than uh, you know your little infantrymen. I, I understand that, but it, like, what would a Papa Warhammer? You can only use units that take up one space. Yeah, I'd be. be down with that because I know those units are, tend to be cheaper, or you buy them. And that I would, would be awesome. I would be. I would. I would get into that Warhammer. I would totally get into. That. Let us know, please. Yeah, get it. Maybe get at us. maybe we can learn the rules and then we can invent a format. Yeah. Games Workshop sponsor. Us. Get at us. <laughs> I feel like we rabbit hold a bit here, so I want to talk about. Oh, that's okay. Reprints of commons. So these are card yeah. new. They're not not new cards. Old cards. Old commons that have always been commons, they're, they're not introducing... these. This set of cards isn't bringing anything new to Popper H, except new art. Right. Uh, we have maybe 50 of these? 40-something? 40 46, it looks 46, like. 50-ish. Well, 40, 46 if you count all the different unique arts, because like Command Tower has three. Uh, yeah, a couple of these have multiple oh, different okay. arts. Oh, okay, yep, I see that. Yep. Um, okay. 
which I don't think we need to say much about these, except just to say, like, there's a lot of commons with incredible new art, like Cultivate, Marcy. Mm-hmm. Cave of Temptation. Cave of Temptation. Deny Reality got some really sweet art. Deny Reality. The the ones that I think are, are particularly noteworthy to mention here on the on the podcast, without being able to actually describe the art to you, is that uh, there's a few cards that got several different kinds of new art. Like, I th- there's three new Arcane Signets. Uh, I think there's mm-hmm. three new Command Towers, three new Commander Spheres. And uh, two Mind Stones. There's two Mind Stones, yeah. Oh, and mind there's stones. two Bobbles, two Wayfarers. Two oh, Wayfarers yeah. Bobbles, okay. Those. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, I missed you know, miss some. You, you, you know what irritates me about those reprints, though? It's mm-hmm. like Mind Stone, Wayfarers, Bobble. I can excuse them because they don't go in every deck. But Arcane Signet, Commander Sphere, and Command Tower, why are there not four? There are four decks. There's like, four decks. Like, <laughs> if, someone, if someone looked at me and said, well, well yeah, there's four decks. But all those cards tap for mana of any identity, and there's a monocolor, there's a mono black deck. They don't need those cards. I I would accept it. I'd be upset because we're we're seeing four Warhammer clans or factions, right? They should all get the love of the flavor. Yeah, but, they should get their own. But I'm sitting here like, you know, someone told me that there's the mono black deck, but I'm looking and I'm like, yeah, the mono black deck doesn't have command tower, but it has a commander sphere. It has an arcane signet. So that logic doesn't work. What deck didn't get an arcane signet? Like if I'm if I'm going off the aesthetic, I think it's the tier. So I'm looking. No, 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 the the so I'm looking at the three different arcane signet arts. One of them yeah. has like a of a hand with some stripped away flesh. Yeah, that, that'd be the that's the, No, that's the tyranid guy. No, Those they are can't Zenos. be. Yes, they can't. Z- tyranids are the Xenos. They're the tyranids. Are the, the human-looking guys that pretend to be humans but secretly aren't? They're the, like the infiltration. One of them yeah, it is, even says Xenos yeah. in the yeah. Uh, flavor text. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the Tyranid flavor. Okay. And then the 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 one with the just black and green that's the Necrons. And then the other one yeah. I think is the Imperium. I I think that Ruinous Powers. Wait, the Grixis how did the, is the how did the Grixis deck not get the Arcane Signet? I don't know. I'm so confused. I'm not making these. Watch I thought it, I thought it was at least the deck that had green in it didn't get the mana rock. Like that makes sense. No, I think the I think the deck with green got well, the that mana. That would have made sense. Yeah. Yeah, I've what I've no heck? idea. I, I I have no idea what what's going on from like a deck design perspective. I've I've barely looked at like the overarching decks themselves. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going purely off aesthetic. Aesthetic. I think the three arcane signets are Tyranids, Necrods, and Imperium. Maybe, maybe, maybe the ruinous powers did get an arcane signet, and they just used the same art from the Imperium. Oh, I don't, I, think, I don't know. I, I don't, don't think know. they would do that. No, they wouldn't do that. Maybe if, just if didn't they're get making an arcane signet. If they're making three unique guts for it, they would just make the fourth. That seems likely. Especially because like the cost of these decks is so much higher to compensate for all the new artwork, they it, would definitely make oh, that. Artwork. Yeah, could be. What do you guys think of the uh, the actual aesthetics, like the look of it, like the sort of metallic frame and all that? Uh, I like it. Do you mean the card frame? I do too. I think, yeah, the card frame. Yeah, basically. the so so it, it's different for those who don't. And I I don't know what y'all know. Uh, probably nothing. I I imagine you know about the triangle stamp. The triangle stamp indicates universes beyond, right? You know that. Oh, yeah. the bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah. the triangle stamp at the bottom, the security stamp indicates universes. Beyond. Something that they've done, and this was this was kind of secretly done in the Walking Dead secret layer, and they didn't really mention it, but they mentioned it when it came time for Stranger Things. The card frame actually is changed. The, the textured look on all the cards, regardless of color, is gone. And it has that metallic sheen. So it goes all the way back to the Walking Dead layer. And then it's on Stranger Things, and it's on the Fortnite secret layers, as well as on the Street Fighter secret layers. You look at all those cards, they have this metallic sheen to them that the 40k decks have. 
And it's also like a really nice visual cue that like these are magic cards, but they are, you know, not magic cards. Right. Okay. It's kind of like a cool, cool little universes beyond. Okay, okay, okay. Neat. Yeah, and I was just looking at it on Goldfish. The Ruinous Powers deck does not have an Arcane Signet. How did the Crisis deck not get that? It has, ta- it has Talisman. <laughs> I don't know if the other ones do too, but... Oh, I can't. Oh, yeah, yeah, it Sol- has the Talisman bobble, Yeah, that's right. Three different Talismans, Chromatic Lantern, Commander Sphere, Worn Power Stone, Assault Suit, and Drachnivian. <laughs> All right. I don't know what that means. So, yeah, sure. There's that. Good, good. So, yeah, lots of lots of cool art. I I like the aesthetic of the thing. You should you should I, look at the art. Yeah, you should look at the yes. Art. It's, it's very cool art. Very cool art. Speaking of art, I want to go ahead and mention a killer reprint that I had to like yes. rub my eyes and squint and like you know rub my phone screen <laughs> to make sure it was there. Uh, Darkness is being reprinted for the first time in literally twenty years. For for those who don't know what Darkness is, it is a single black instant. That prevents all combat damage that will be dealt this time. And if that sounds like fog, it is. But it's it's black. It's because it is. But from yeah. Legends. It is a $15 yeah, it's, fog. It's from Legends, where uh, Magic didn't quite know what they were doing at the time. And mm-hmm. that, that effect got swiftly reverted into green. Um, it wasn't green to start, I think. And then, and then they moved it yeah. to black. And then they moved it back to green. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> they, they learned their mistake in Legends. Uh, but... Yeah, but that, yeah, that's a huge, that's a huge reprint. That was a, that's awesome. a huge reprint. Uh, but on top of that reprint, um, it has not hailed McNeil art, which for those of you who know that is, who, who, for those of you who know who that is, I'm sorry. For those of you who don't know who that is, you're better off that. Instead, yep. we have art by the image by the amazing Durkin, who is a regular magic artist. Mm-hmm. So like this, like this art, while it, you know, clearly has 40k figures and it still feels very magic when it comes to the actual spell being cast on the wall. It really does. Because like, I, I don't know, I don't know if it's a 40k aesthetic or if it's just kind of a 40k mixing with magic aesthetic, but all the art, like while being sci-fi and, and magic based is also very cartoonish. I don't know if that's the word I'm yeah, looking for. It, it looks very, it looks very exaggerated, very animated, very animated, very digital. You know, and I'm, I'm yeah. not saying there's anything bad about that, but it kind of it definitely sticks out. And in this darkness, I, I keep going back to it because like the the green mist and the the, the black uh, swirlies that are being done on it like look very magic. And then you have very digitalized figures in the background and i just i can't <laughs> i'm looking at this art and it just it gives it throws me for a loop every time but i love it yeah i'm looking yeah, forward to uh replacing all my copies with it excellent reprint yeah and it's pre-ordering at like eight dollars right now so get it now <laughs> oh nice because it will only go up yeah yep i've actually i don't think i have it in any of my decks so i uh i've i don't I've, even think i own a copy i have historic like i have a couple from legends just from having played for a million years but like I just right. sort of very stalwartly avoid putting it in decks because of how much I hate Harold McNeil. So like, yeah, that's fair. not in any of my decks to replace even. I've got a couple ultra sleeves that I use over the McNeil. Art. Um, oh, very nice. So, oh, you so, go. you know, I just you, don't use some people, sleeves. I, <laughs> so. <yeah. laughs> that's fair. <laughs> um, so, but uh, yeah, it's, I, I know I have one copy in my Shire deck. I think I'm unsure if I have, them in other decks i know i did it but i've been cycling through decks a lot recently so i don't know the last time i put a harold mcneil card in one of my decks i made sure to i i took a giant sharpie like a sharpie with a really <laughs> fat tip 
and I yeah. just completely covered the art of the card with the words Black Lives Matter. And that made me feel good. Nice. Yeah. There you go. But yeah, that even that deck is long gone. I don't don't think yeah. it's a thing anymore. You know what also got new art that I just realized was Path of Ancestry. Yes. Yeah. Path, Ewild, like, Terramorphic, Secret Lair, and the Magic Fest card. Yeah. yeah. All the staple all new art. Yeah, yeah. That is sweet. Awesome. Yeah. Now, is there... I, I don't pay attention much to like the print runs and all that sort of thing. Are there foil options for these decks like can we get the sweet darkness and foil and that sort of thing you can if you have lots of money yeah the, okay. the way the foil so it's, not, it's not like a it's not like a normal commander pre-count where they you just get what they get you know that you only get what they print exactly so 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 every deck has two versions it has the regular version that's sitting between 40 and 60 dollars depending on the deck and then you've got mm -hmm. the collector version where the Ooh. whole deck is for and that's Obsessive. how you get foils. Oh, okay. So I imagine that the collector versions, the, the, the foils will be very difficult to obtain because I imagine for the collector versions, they will majority stay sealed. Those that get opened will probably stay in some kind of 40k battle box. I imagine sure. they will be very expensive to obtain foils. Yeah, I think if you're not buying the whole decks, you're going to have a bit of trouble. Yeah, and the, the other reason I say that is because the print run for these decks is a little off. There's nothing confirmed because Wizards never confirms numbers or anything, but from what I've been understanding from various distributors is the, the print run on these decks is weird. The number of collector decks being printed is similar to that of what would be printed in a first run of any other Commander product. So think, you know, Streets of New, Com Streets of New Capenna Commander, uh, Commander 21, uh, Commander 2020, right? The, the amount of decks mm -hmm. that was initially on the market, that's how many collector decks, though. For the, wow. the non... That sounds like a lot. Well, yes, but once you get past pre-orders, it, it, you know, think about think about uh, Commander products in the past, right? Like, once you get past pre-orders, it's usually a week or two before you see them on shelves again. Mm -hmm. That wait is wave two. So it really isn't a lot. Oh, okay. It really isn't a yeah, lot. Okay, you know, so sometimes so. after pre-orders, your, your LGS might have, like, one or two copies of every deck for a week or two, and then they get, like, boxes and boxes of them. That uh -huh. th those boxes yeah. and boxes, that's wave two. So, okay. so you know, there's there's not a lot, but there's there's a lot more than people were anticipating. When it comes to the when it comes to the regular decks, they they, as far as I'm aware, and this, again, this is just what I'm getting from distributors, they are only intending to do a single print. Run. That's also what I've heard. However, that print run is not normal numbers. The amount of yeah. Commander decks that they would print for previous products, again, think Streets of New think Commander 2020, Commander 21, right? The amount that they printed over the 9 to 12 month period, depending on demand, is where they got the numbers to print for this wave of 40k. So like there's going like there's going to be a huge amount of stock of the regular versions of the decks. Sure. To begin. That makes sense. Once you get past pre-orders, okay. you'll have like a regular amount and they'll go up pretty they'll go pretty quickly after that. I don't expect these mm -hmm. to still be sitting on shelves in 6 months. I expect them to be sold out in 6 no, to 8 no, no. months. Um Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, maybe even sooner because and and the reason for such a large initial print run is because the goal is to get people outside the game into magic. But they also recognize yep. people in the game need the cards. So <laughs> It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a nice balance. And I think that's why, cause you know, when, when I heard that like Unfinity got delayed for, you know, supply chain issues, I was like, okay, makes sense. It's a pack set. It's a pack set. You know, they might be printing more of it than they did previous yeah. sunsets. It makes sense to delay it. When I heard that they were delaying the Warhammer decks, my initial thought was, 
why because because this was originally a summer release right it was it was an it was a late august maybe early august but but it was i was like why like that's that's odd because command decks you know you you do a print run and i was like i was like well maybe they don't want to have to like do a reprint run that would make sense but then i was like how much is the first print run they have to delay it like a month and a half apparently the answer is a lot (laughs) um which which i'm okay with so yeah, Terramorphic Expanse got new art. That would look sweet in foil. I, I imagine some of this art would look epic in foil. Yeah, I unfortunately sure. don't play sure. foils. So. Oh, I, I like a good foil. I don't like blinging out everything, but there are certain cards I just, I just I, I feel I, like... I can't with... with. I used to like playing with foils, but I can't anymore just because of the, the quality is so all over the place. The, yeah, it's hor- it's been horrible. I just I can't even... It's been, my... it's been better than when it was at its worst, but it is still not good. Yes. Yeah, it's always annoying to place a. It doesn't even have to be big. Just place a TCG order of more than like ten cards, and you know if you have it set to give you the cheapest version, sometimes they will just send you a foil. Yeah. If it's a new one, it's, it's kind of sad. But yeah, I don't know. Is there any other uh, commons y'all wanted to talk about? I think we kind of touched on sort of the big, the big ones, the big reprints, the new arts, that sort of thing. Yeah. I don't. Know. I don't have any art specific things I want to talk about, but going down another rabbit hole of, of aesthetics, uh, the, the pauper aesthetic where you need to just play all your cards need to have the common set symbol. really <laughs> bugs me that some of the cards that are pauper legal have uncommon. Yeah. I just, I don't understand. Like, I probably, un- I was explaining to you and, and, and Dave before the show about, like, the reprint policy with how they choose set symbols and commander decks. And, like, even I don't fully understand how they choose it. But some of these just don't make sense. And in particular, the Everflowing Chalice being a rare. This is the first time this card has been printed at rare. Except for when it was an F and M promo, and that doesn't even count. Yeah, it doesn't count. Other than that, it's always been a common or uncommon, and I'm just like, I don't, I don't understand. And then you get, I'm, you know, I noticed... I'm not even going to touch the Baron More Forgotten Cave. Anyone who follows me on Twitter already yeah, knows that that, <laughs> that tweet. Uh huh. That follows I, you on Twitter, is in the same Discord look, as you. Oh yeah. I don't even, I don't even know how that tweet. Like for me, like yeah, that's what like, people like. It man. had like 300 likes and like. 30 retweets and i'm just like what the heck this was made at like 10 o'clock at night <laughs> and it was just me like angrily glaring at spoilers what <laughs> apparently just have to be mad now. that's awesome i did just notice that the i guess the rarity the color rarity corresponds to the triangle color too huh uh well no the triangle's gold and the rarity's gold no uh, the, that... they're all supposed to have stamps but i've been confused by that too because Everything in Universes Beyond is supposed to have a stamp, including the commons and uncommons. But I don't know why they show the the sheen, the shininess of the stamp on the rares, but on the commons and uncommons, they just gray it out. Yeah, it's just gray because out. Because it'll, it'll look like a regular <laughs> stamp in paper. Because I've been also seeing the same thing with the, with the Infinity Spoilers, where on the common and uncommon acorn cards, they still have the shape of an acorn but it's grayed out but the res mythics oh. have the shiny acorns and i'm just like are they really going to print two different security stamps right i don't think they are i think i think it's all going to be that that shiny that we're all used to okay. i hope it yeah, is that was just something that stuck out <laughs> i hope it is mainly because on our on our scryfall page it's all commons and uncommons and then bam the ever-flowing chalice yeah <laughs> Yeah, I think we can move on from uh, the commons and the new arts and the reprints and all that stuff. We can get to what has gotten downshifted to our format. I think that's uh, what most people are here for, if not the commanders also. This is what I'm here for. Absolutely. Well, why don't you kick us off, Dave? We got two downshifts. There are two reprints that are seeing their first ever print at the common rarity and are therefore now 
because of this set, legal in Popper EDH. The one that I am really, really excited about is honestly probably the worst of the two, and that is Unstable Obelisk. Same. This is a three mana rock, taps for colorless, so uh, the, the rock part of it is slightly worse than Bonders. Uh, yep. if, your, if your deck is really like color pip intensive, that the, the it tapping for colorless might be important but the thing i'm really really excited about this for is that its second ability is for seven mana tap sacrifice you can destroy target permanent nice wait that's just universal solvent it's universal solvent but a rock that taps for mana <laughs> like, yeah it's universal solvent that's useful before turn eight yes and that's that's always been the problem with universal solvent. <laughs> like this yep. this is going into every single one of my red decks. Yeah. This is this is red's new answer to enchantments. This is going into most of my black decks. It's black's answer to enchantments as well. Yeah, without having to pay life. This is permanent removal in blue. Like blue blue's got the boomerangs and we all love the boomerangs, but like blue doesn't have a lot of destroy target permanent. Like that's a right. thing. Uh this can hit lands that have been that have a lot of auras on them this can merc problematic creatures problematic enchantments artifacts like the versatility embedded in this is colossal and like <laughs> seven men is a lot you're gonna pay for it but the fact that this card is useful and has good utility before you get to seven mana is just a phenomenal boon for us uh, i i anticipate casting this and then like sitting on it for a while while i just use it as a mana rock and then like in an yeah. emergency i can crack it for uh for the oh i'll probably i will use it improperly i'm sure for at least the first three or four weeks <laughs> yeah i'll be like look i can blow stuff up oh i should have saved I, it. I was so excited when i saw it i just i, I windmill slammed uh an obelisk on my in my, in my balkan to uh it was one sphinx i was like yes yeah but yeah this goes <laughs> this is great in the sphinx we first got this card in commander 14 so this card has been kicking around for about eight years before i got this downshift and same I, art same I, art all the way up until now i've put it into almost every single one of my monocolor decks just because it's a rock and it's versatile removal in one card and that's what so, i want mm -hmm. so i've i've been playing since 2014 and i thought this card came out in jumpstart i didn't uh, realize it nope. had older versions <laughs> nope. <It's>... yep <laughs> but older 2014 a little, little bit older, just just <laughs> by like six years, it's fine. Yeah, no problem. Oh. Great. Well, we did get one more downshift that uh, I think had more people excited than the obelisk, even though there was quite a, a bigger fan base for the obelisk than I actually expected. But Liam, why don't you tell us about the other one? Yeah, so the other one was a card that I didn't actually realize was a downshift until people pointed it out to me, and it wasn't it wasn't in any of my decks. It's not that bad. I just I just didn't realize it was a downshift. Uh, is go for the throat uh, for one of the black. It's an instant. And it destroys target non-artifact creatures. So in our format, probably a better duplicate. I think it's a better cast down. I, I'm not sure, because I still run into a lot of non-legendary commanders. I mean, the one game you played the other day was pretty awkward, but yeah, 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 I sure. like I still run into a lot of non-legendary commanders. Well, let's, maybe I should rephrase that. Like, going forward, I think it's going to be better than cast down because Watsi's printing so many legendary yes. uncommons. Yes, oh, for sure. I think I think as we get more people into the format, their, their first couple decks are going to be legendary uncommons just because it's what they're comfortable with. 
and then they'll branch out. The new thing. I've been yep. noticing that yep. with a lot of people that have gotten into the format. I'm like, yeah, you, you know, the draw to the format is you can use any uncommon creature, and they're like, oh, really? And they, they get some thinking, but then they default back to a legendary creature, and they're like, is this okay? It's like, yeah, yeah totally. And even yeah, people sure at my LGS, right? I draw them in with any uncommon creature. They build one, two, three legendary uncommons, and then they show up one week with a non-legendary deck, and I'm like, yes, join the dark side. Yep. But yeah. So so. I, I I definitely think this will be good as as metas evolve and grow. Uh, it'll it'll get better than cast down. But I think for for people just getting into the format, cast down is still pretty, pretty good. Yeah, for sure. But it is definitely one that PDH has been waiting for for a while. I mean, it came out in I think it says here 2011. I have that reversed. For people getting into the format, go for the throat will be good. As they get farther into the format, cast down will be better. Oh, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yep. As you do, you know, as you get a regular play group yeah. and develop your your decks and everything, yeah, but, you sort of branch out, like you said. Definitely, even playing Go for the Throat probably over Doomblade, because Doomblade has burned me more times in PDH than it has in EDH, and that's saying something. <laughs> so the, speaking of, just, just a really quick side note on uh, Doomblade yeah. and Go for the Throat. The thing that I love about these cards in particular is that uh, I grew up on Terror. Terror, yeah. Which is yeah. the, the two mana like worse version of both of these? Destroy target the, the non black non artifact. It's non black <laughs> and non artifact. So like when Doomblade came out, I was like, oh god, it's better than Terror. That's amazing. Let's just play that one all the time and forever. Uh, and then like when after that, Go for the Throat came out, and I was like, this is incredible. Now we have like each half of the Terror restriction is yeah. its own card. So I'm just uh -huh. I'm delighted that we now have both of them in Popper. Like it seemed it always seemed really weird to me that we had Doomblade but not go for the throat yeah. because to me they were just the two halves of Terror, which has always been common. And so I having both for... of them now is great. And I think yeah. go for the throat might do something. Might yeah, it might. I, I think cast down still just better there because it hits basically anything. It hits everything. But yeah, now I, in the near future, I think go for the throat's going to be semi-unplayable because it is a non-artifact creature and it's going to be a pretty heavily affinity yeah. meta i think i i think but... i think if we didn't just have the initiative bands this would replace doom oh for sure yeah yeah i'm i'm intrigued to see the format where this is a good card in there. yeah absolutely that'd be nice so yeah we didn't get a ton of downshifts but we got some good ones some very exciting ones actually i was pretty unfamiliar with the obelisk i think someone dm'd me about it and they're like oh my god look at this and i kind of had to look it up i'm like oh yeah i remember that card I, I just never really occurred to me that it was an uncommon or anything like that but yeah i'm pretty stoked for that one too now and you're right and you're right dave every, every time it gets brought up people are like oh that's great in mono color decks mm -hmm. like mono red loves it mm -hmm. you know all, mono blue loves it so usually be... like when you get into two color decks you usually have hopefully both of those colors can cover the other's removal weaknesses or removal blind spots. Mm -hmm. So this kind of universal removal that you pay an enormous amount of mana from is a lot less important in dual color decks. And the yeah. lack of colored mana is a lot more punishing in dual color decks. So yeah, in dual color decks, I feel like this is going to be a, a bit of a, a tougher sell, but I'm overjoyed to have access to it in monocolor decks. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the moving on, we have one commander yep. that actually got got reprinted as a rare <laughs> got upshifted since its last printing no it's not upshift. Uh, but it's le le well its last printing was uncommon its last printing was Did rare you? its last printing was in midnight hunt commander. oh that's right yep i completely looked right past that somehow hey you're right no i'm yeah like what what's funny about this is yeah it's a reprint for our format as as a commando it's also the only creature 
to be reprinted in all four decks. Like, if you, if you do a Scryfall search for set 40k type creature, Bastion, commit, Bastion Protector is the only thing that comes up. Uh, sorry, it, sorry, type creature, you know, is reprint. Bastion Protector is the only thing that comes up. Oh, yeah, yeah, So it's like, it's it's funny <laughs> that it's the only creature to get a, a oh. reprint, and it's legal for our format. The only creature reprint across the four decks. I thought you meant yeah. it was in all four. And I was no, like, no, no, that's no, what no. I thought across you meant at first, too, yeah. I was like, wait a second. No, one of the is decks it... is mono black. Come on. Right. I, that's why <laughs> yeah, I was right? confused. I was like, is it? <laughs> no. did it become colorless? What happened? <laughs> no, no, no. It's a freaking no, space it's... carnival out here. Sorry. My bad. No, it's it's the only creature reprint across all four decks. I got so. it. I got it. Yep. <laughs> with Epic Nuit, too. That still calls back that is to the pretty original. Sweet. So. Yep. So, same with the Obelisk, too. That was pretty cool. Yeah, so that pretty much covers our singular reprinted commanders but we do have uh, about two dozen brand new commanders we can toy around with granted most of them are going to be kind of vanilla kind of meh kind of stuff you probably don't want to play with so we'll just kind of breeze through these real quick if uh dave if you want to get us started just start reading them pick which ones you want to read and then hand it off what do you think sure so like i there's like very specific ones that i like want to talk about like do, do you want me to, mm-hmm. to read like all of them and then talk about the ones i'm excited about or do you want me to just just skip some and talk read the ones i like yeah just read the ones you like i want to see what what you're excited about okay in order i'm excited about thunderwolf cavalry cat cavalry as the white card the mono white we have a five mana four four first strike with the ability whenever it deals combat damage to a player put a plus one plus one counter on each other creature you control one of the reasons I like this is because it feels like a much better uh, Sir Aelin, the lion's something or other. The the white mm-hmm. counterpart from the Eldraine legendary Uncommon Knights cycle is also like a 5-mana 4-4 four, four first strike that buffed your team. But his buff was temporary, and it was uh, honestly kind of disappointing. The, yeah. the much more exciting thing about this card to me is the combination of first strike on a damage trigger. So... If this guy gets through, he deals his first strike damage, his trigger goes on the stack, the rest of your team all gets bigger, and then they do combat. That is crazy. People are going to get this wrong constantly. People are going to block yeah. your 3-3 three, three with their 3-3, <laughs> three, three, and then this is going to connect, and your 3-3 three, three is going to be a 4-4, four, four, and suddenly you're not trading anymore. You're just yeah. You're you're just chump blocking their guy. This is gonna get a lot of people. It's gonna get them a lot. Like it changes the math. Like I don't think White has any ways to give this guy double strike, but like if it did, like uh yikes. So I think this guy's gonna be super cool. I think he's gonna be a very fun commander for a go wide white deck. If that's the sort of thing you're into. Maybe maybe you got into the idea of a go wide white deck by listening to a podcast. I don't know. Hey, I don't know what that would have yeah, been, but yeah, possible. sounds like a good idea. Possible. <laughs> um, it's possible. The blue one I really love is called Sakarian Infiltrator. It is a three mana one two with flash. It is an artifact. Yes, I love this one too. This guy has an ability called Squad, which is essentially replicate, but for the creature. It's like it is kicker replicate. Well, yeah. <laughs> re- replicate is also sort of like kicker, right? It just instead of replicate is on spells, and replicate means that as you cast the spell, yeah, you can pay the replicate cost any number of times, and you copy the spell that many times. And this is that exact same thing, except for 
creatures. Everything is yeah, okay. Replicated skate creatures. Everything is skate. Yeah. So uh yeah, squad as you cast the spell, you can pay two two generic mana any number of times. And uh when the creature spell enters the battlefield, uh you create that many copies of it. And mm-hmm. uh this has the added ability that when it enters play you draw a card. So by itself you have a three mana one two flash ETB draw card. You could pay five mana to get two of them and draw two cards and now you have mm-hmm. it's like Moldrifter with an extra body Ooh, you could pay seven right, mana right. for three copies of this and three cards and it has flash which makes it like better than Moldrifter I think you can just keep yeah, your the mana flash up. is very nice the flash is mm-hmm. you can keep your mana up for interaction and then when you don't have any interaction you can just spend all of your mana if that's three or five or seven like whatever, spend all of your mana at end of turn to make a bunch of little bodies and draw a bunch of cards, and then you go to your and turn. And roll right into your turn, yep. And like, blue has enough ways to just bounce this guy to your hand that you just, you keep bouncing the original, so you're not paying the commander tax, you're just paying, mm-hmm. you're, you're sinking all of your mana into interaction, and then this guy's squad ability to keep your hand full. And like, the at the end of it, you have a, a massive army of tokens and i don't know maybe like a might stone or something (laughs) i don't know how you make them (laughs) big but like you've you've drawn 30 extra cards you'll you'll figure something out to do with them yeah so i think this guy and i like that i'd have to look i'm sure we have it already but i like that it's a human soldier in blue yeah i I don't know why that strikes me but i'm I'm a fan of that it's an artifact creature human soldier in blue yeah i don't know pretty neat i don't know what this guy's lore aesthetic is but like the picture is very cool yeah, yeah. Blasted. They're just blasted. Pew, pew. I just realized anyway, that it has blasting. a gun in magic. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> yeah. Not the not the first. Portal Second Age had a lot of muskets. That's true. That's true. They did have. Yeah, but th- but this one is very much closer to a pistol. Yes, this is just a little SMG, a little Uzi guy. My my black pick, the most interesting. There's there's a lot of black cards here. One of the precons is mono black. So uh, black has yeah. a lot of options here in the un- yeah, there's creature eight, category. Eight black uncommon creatures as opposed to yeah. every other color, and, which has about half that. Yeah, and if less, if not seven less. of them come from the same deck. <laughs> yep. <Right. laughs> so uh, the most interesting black commander, I think, is called Triarch Praetorian. This is a... Good pronunciation. Thank you. This is a two mana, two one with flying. And if you're just casting the card, that's all it is. Because it's yeah, okay. it's not great. Uh, but not great. It's, its other ability is... It's an artifact. When it enters the battlefield, if it came in from a graveyard, you draw two cards and you lose two life. Ooh. So it's, uh, if, it's a little spicier. If you can put it into play from your graveyard, then it's sign in bloods. Well, how do you put it into play from your graveyard? So many ways. The worst <laughs> of which is printed right on the card. <laughs> it has unearth for five mana... You can play it from your graveyard with unearth with the unearth ability, and it'll it'll come into play from your graveyard. You'll get this trigger where you draw two cards, you lose two life. It has haste for that that one turn that you put it into play, and then you exile it. Yep. But that's honestly, if you're building this deck, I don't think you're excited about the unearth ability. I think you're excited think so about uh, unnatural stamina and undying malice and undying evil and. Or bake your own death. Unearth. Or yeah, the card unearth is just a one mana. <laughs> put it into play for the graveyard. 
Like, yeah. I think that Black has so much really cool recursion that they can do with this guy. And, like, in between recurring him, you just strap him up with a bone splitter and you're attacking for four flying damage starting on turn three with this guy that just gives you card advantage every time he dies. And, like, mm-hmm. if, if people are going to kill him for you, great. If not, you run a couple sack engines. Uh, I think this guy has a lot of potential. He's he's going to get blown out too, by... Like... No, no, go ahead. Finish your thought. He's going to get blown out by Honored Heirloom, which is why your mono black deck oh, needs yeah. to... <laughs> you need to run Unstable Obelisk <laughs> in your mono black deck <laughs> so that you can kill yep. the Honored Heirloom. But yeah, if you can dodge the graveyard hate, this guy's going to be a house. I, I think so too. I really like him because, you know, sure, we have a stack of black cards that draw you cards. But those are cards that take up slots. You know, they take up precious deck space, if you will. Mm -hmm. This one is just repeatable card advantage. Like, we don't really have that in black Mm -hmm. at the commander slot very easily. At least not for two mana. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah, I think there's a lot lot going on here. There's a lot to explore. Like, you read it and you're like, okay, cool. If he comes in from a graveyard, sure, I draw some cards. But, like, I think it goes a little bit deeper than that. Right. Like the the first time I read this card, I was like, "Oh, you can unearth it for two cards." That's a like, that's not what I'm gonna spend five mana on. Well, I'm right. gonna look at something else. And then I I took I, I was reading um, Scarecrow. That almost is exactly a Muldrifter. It's a two one for five. Yeah. that draws you two cards. <laughs> yeah, it's a Muldrifter with haste that sacks at end of turn. Like that's not good. Yeah, yeah, pretty. But much. I wanted the command zone. But uh, Scarecrow right. made a post about this guy on Reddit where he talked about all the um all the different recursion tricks you can do with him. And I was like, oh, actually, that's brilliant. Like, now I'm into this guy. Yeah, and, yeah so uh, credit credit yeah. to Scarecrow for uh, tuning me yeah, into that Yeah, he's real easy to look over. Like I said, if you just read it, you're like, okay, cool, next. But there there's a lot going on here. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a fan. For sure. My red pick is Noise Marine, which, mm-hmm. honestly, after a lot of soul-searching and contemplation, is a terrible card. But... <laughs> <laughs> I love it, so I'm going to talk about it. Noise Marine. First, first of all, the first thing you need to know about this card is that it's a it's a space marine in the the super like Warhammer absurdly big armor with pauldrons the size of uh, I don't know Rhode Island. Yep. With a massive bladed guitar. A freaking space guitar. Literally an axe. Yeah. Literally and figuratively an axe. So that's the first thing you need to know. Space Marine with a giant guitar. In terms of magic mechanics, this is a mono-red, five-mana, three-two creature with two abilities. First ability is Cascade. So when you cast it, you're going to mill from the top of your library until you hit a spell that costs less than five. And you get to play that for free. So... Maybe you hit the unstable obelisk and you have more more mana. Maybe you hit something Boom. else. The, the lightning bolt you needed. Whatever. It's interesting to note that Cascade is a cast trigger. So whatever spell you Cascade into gets cast and resolves before the Noise Marine resolves. And that's important because Noise Marine's second ability is almost like a storm thing. When he enters the battlefield, he deals damage to any target equal to the number of spells you have cast this turn. Yeah, almost a built-in, like, grape shot. Yeah, he's a, he's a lot like a grape He's a single-target grape shot, sort of. Yeah. 
sort of. <laughs> a single target grape shot that costs five. But he cascades. So uh, his his little storm trigger damage thing is always going to see whatever spell you cascade into. So if you're casting the Noise Marine, you're at a minimum of two. I designed a deck for this guy, trying to just lean as hard into the casting a lot of spells angle as possible. So I designed a deck with a lot of like Aki Rock Speakers that give you mana when they come into play. Coal Stoker is a four mana creature that gives you three mana when it enters. You know, Desperate Ritual. But you have to cast it from your hand. Yeah, you have to cast it to get the mana. But like, if you cast it, get the you get most of its mana back. Yeah. Desperate Ritual, Pyretic Ritual, Seismic Spike, I think, is in the deck. Just a lot of spells that will refund you some of their mana, some or all of their mana, so that you can just have a big storm turn and then cast the Noise Marine. And I playtested this deck a couple times, and I found that uh, it does what it's supposed to do. It does, you, you can pretty reliably have like a, a storm count of six-ish on turn five when you cast the Noise Marine. But now you're you're going hellbent for a lava axe. Yeah. <laughs> and like... Great. <laughs> you, uh, yeah, yeah, not even like to each opponent. It's just you, you, to one target. You could just play Lava Axe <laughs> and, like, and still have cards in your hand. So, yeah. Noise Marine, I love you. I think the deck is honestly much better as just mono-red good stuff. Like, pack your deck with a bunch of good cards that cost three or four mana, and you can cascade into them, and the Noise Marine is a very consistent two damage. Like, the Shock is not bad. Yeah, free shocking like, bad. That's that's probably the way to actually make this deck, but like at that point I'm I'm questioning why I'm not just playing Fathom Fleet Swordjack as a as a mono red good stuff right. burn or Dragon Mage. And like the the guitar is almost worth it, but uh yeah. Oh I think so. Yeah. So yep. there's there's cool stuff you could do, but it's not very good. <laughs> yeah. Aside Aside from the multicolor guys, that's that's the end of my list. Like neither of the green guys. There's only two green uncommons, and they're both sort of like middly for me. I'm not very yeah, enthusiastic. Yeah, sort of me. Yeah, one's one's a glorified fertilid. The other one is a really expensive sunder shaman. Yeah, yeah, they're they're okay. Uh, some of the multicolored guys are cool, but I I feel like I've been talking for a long time. I want to pass the mic. All right. What do you think, Liam? You got you got some favorites? Have you picked out a handful that you want to build around, or are you still gonna trying to like consume them all like i'm still definitely trying to digest them all um but there are a few I digest I, that's the word i was looking i want for. to talk about real quick sanguinary priest is is a big one uh it's the only mono black one to not come out of the necron deck so it's three and a black for a two four with lifelink and it has whenever another creature you control dies sanguinary priest deals one damage to any target this is and you gain one life yes so so it, it only deals one damage to any target but because it has lifelink, you gain a lot. Right. The immediate comparison is Blood Artist. Because you're draining one, gaining one. But it's to any target. It's not necessarily a player. And while that yeah, will probably be the target most of the time, you could also just take out a few key pieces like Mandorks. Yep. And that's big. It is two mana more, but it also comes with a plus two, plus three buff. So I'm not really yeah, sure. Is big. I'm not really sure that's a downside, considering it no longer dies to things like Bolt. I think it's. I think it's definitely worth considering and comparing alongside Blood Artist, depending how fast your deck wants to actually get that Blood Artist out. Because I don't know any Blood Artist deck that's realistically playing on turn two. Right. So it's it's definitely a, a consideration to be made. 
Another one I want to talk about is a mono-red commando. I can't believe I'm about to talk about this. <laughs> so it's Seeker it. of Slanesh, which is three and a red for a 3-3 three, three demon with haste. And it says each opponent must attack with at least one creature each combat if able. So it doesn't go to specific creature, but it goads the player. I still yeah. don't like it because... I like to have control of my combat. but Nothing says they cannot <laughs> attack you. Yes. It's intriguing. I'm curious to see where people take it. I'm not going to be doing it. Weirdly, weirdly chaotically political. Yes. I love the idea of it, but the, the reason that I'm sort of not crazy about it is, mm -hmm. uh, first of all, I have a lot of experience playing Thantis and just watching people lose their entire minds when they're forced to attack and just yeet all of their everything at me <laughs> to try and get me out of the game so that I'll stop ruining combat. This is I, yeah, I don't understand everything. I don't understand why this happens, but people just they they go berserk tier angry when I force them to attack and they just kill me. Yeah, that really bugs people. Yeah. I I also feel like this is if you if your goal is to trick people into attacking, I feel like there are better mono red options. Oh yeah, I think for sure. We just got a guy in Commander Legends Baldur's Gate who goads things uh -huh. as an activated ability yes. and takes you the initiative when he comes into play like that that just seems like leagues better than this this is the 40k option. it is the 40k is option 40k option uh there's and... there's also like the other comparison is frenzied saddle brute in terms of encouraging people to attack frenzied saddle brute gives any creature can attack your opponents as if it had haste so like people people can just play whatever creatures they want and then immediately attack your opponents with them, which encourages the attack in a way that doesn't make people go berserk and kill me, and also yeah. encourages people to attack my other opponents. Which, yeah, yeah. sorry, I I think Sleep Seekers has very cool art though, and it is the the 40k version. Oh, so, very cool. Uh, yep. It definitely has merits. The last one I want to talk about is called Venom Throat. This one, yeah, this is on even one. Uh, this is one green and a blue for a 2-2 Tyranid. It has flying, death-touching hexproof. That set of keywords, specifically, is also on Nightvale Predator, a 4-mana commander for blue, blue, black, black from Guild of Ravnica. That commander, the, the, the Nightvale Predator, I've seen it before. It's a very controlly build. Uh, that looks to like get a couple buffs on the commander and swing through a very clear board. Yeah, just start bashing. I've never really liked it as a deck because it was very mana intensive, both for the commander and all of the control suite. Right. And it is very easy for that deck to go wrong. Yeah, it's like super Demir. Yes, like... <laughs> it is like Demir on like just de just Demir. Like you're not casting anything for colorless mana. It's all blue and black. Uh, yeah. Venom Throat on the other hand is in Simic, costs a mana less, and only has two color pips instead of. Now, yeah. let's talk about the, the comparison here. Uh, Demir to Simic, right? You you lose some Tudors. You still have some blue ones, but you, you lose the black ones. You lose the black removal suite, which is going to be creatures. Instead, yeah. you gain the green removal suite, which is artifacts and enchantments. So I think that definitely depends on your meta. You still have all of the blue Tudors. You still have all of the blue removal. What I think is key here is Night Vale Predator looks to control the board, remove a couple things, or like, remove a lot of things, and, and swing through 
a, with a fairly small body a bunch of times. Venomthrope is in bogle colors and has hexproof. <laughs> yeah. I, I think this is just an upgraded bogle, if I'm being entirely honest, because the flying death touch is really nice. It gives you evasion that's, and then... That's real. It, uh, yeah, it gives you evasion, and then when you put trample on it, because it's in green, and that's a thing you could do, you know, blockers don't matter. No, they don't. So I I, yeah. I do definitely think this is a stronger Night Veil Predator if you're running the Voltron strategy. I think if you're going for the heavy control, Night Veil Predator is still, is still going to be better in the control area. But yeah. in reality, I think Venomthrope might just be the stronger deck. Because, like we said, Night Vault Predator is super mana color intensive across the whole deck and can be very easily interrupted or can be very easily uh, just screwed by its own mana base. Whereas Venom Throat doesn't really have that problem, especially with Green Ramp. Mm-hmm. Green Ramp, Green Fixing, Abundant Growth, Utopia Sprawls, exactly. all that stuff. I think, Venom, yep. I think for this specific group of keywords, Venom Throat is able to take advantage of them better. Yeah, and then so you too. have yep. the obvious comparison to Bogle, where you get a little one mana one one with hexproof, versus a three mana two two that also has flying and death touch. I understand this body needs to come down before any enchantments can, but I also think the first turn or two could be spent better by ramping, and uh, then you play Venom. The the there's two things I'd like to contribute to the Venom throat conversation. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, First is that you you said you know when you switch from black to green from from the night veil to the venom throat you lose a lot of the black removal and I would counter that rabid bite and bite down and master's rebuke yep. those all look a lot like murder when you have a yep. death toucher in play so oh and ram through a ram yep. through yeah so like I feel like you're you're really solid on green creature removal the other thing is I feel like I feel like the night veil predator comparisons are spot on and perfect and beautiful i i would honestly really hesitate to compare this to bogles just because the difference between one mana reliably you know landing your commander turn one every game the difference between that and trying to trying to drop your voltron commander on turn three through counter spells like your very telegraphed voltron commander Trying to drop that through counter spells on turn three is going to be a challenge. So uh, I think Bogles definitely has a that. huge yeah. advantage there. But yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting as a as a mid range Voltron control build. Uh, I can see it making waves in the competitive format for sure. Yeah, I think so too. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think too that like maybe it's just a feeling I get. I don't know if it's actually true or not, but like in the Venom Throat deck, I feel like the blue can be more more simic-y, if you will. Like, sure, it'll still be there for control, counter spells, that sort of thing, tempo, bounce, all that stuff. But I think it can also be there... And then I've, to be fair, I've never played a Night Vale Predator deck, although I've looked at the deck lists. I feel like in Venom Throat, Blue can be there a lot for things like Security Bypass and um, mm. Slip Through Space and, you know, all the unblockable effects where... Yes. And they may be played in Night Vale Predator too, but I just feel like they're those are a little more simic-y, so you may be able to slide those into a deck like this as as opposed to the predator yeah that's a good point that's it that's my contribution i like it but i, I definitely want to try it out what else you got liam uh, that's all i had cool 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 yeah uh, most of mine actually lined up with with a little bit of each of yours i'm a big fan of the infiltrator i can't wait to to clone a bunch of copies and whatnot draw a bunch of cards that looks cool mm -hmm. uh, the priest looks awesome 
Uh, one I was looking at right next to the priest, actually, on Scryfall is the Psychomancer. I don't know what a Psychomancer is in Warhammer, but it sounds pretty badass. It's a two-mana 1-1 one, one artifact Necron wizard with flying. And his rules text seems like it is waiting to be broken. Uh, it just says, whenever Psychomancer or another non-token artifact you control is put into a graveyard from the battlefield or is put into exile from the battlefield, target opponent loses one life and you gain one life. That feels like that feels like trouble. With, without the word non-token, I would be all over this card. I would be sacrificing treasures all day, every day. So you think that makes it a little safer, the non-token part? I mean, obviously yeah. it does, but you know, I'm thinking about you know the combos with Ashnod's Altar and just the crazy stuff we can do. But maybe it's not quite as broken as I think. But To me, the, the comparison here is with uh, Agent of the Iron Throne, which mm-hmm. is one of the backgrounds we got in Baldur's Gate. And, and that says uh, whenever... It's a background that says your commander has... Whenever a creature or artifact dies, whenever one of yours gets put into a graveyard, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is sort of the same effect, but it works with tokens, which is super important now in the land of treasures everywhere. Tre- treasures, clues, food, blood. Right. And also, like you can pair that with uh, any other color you want. I feel like the Psychomancer is a much cooler agent of the Iron Throne, but uh and it, yeah and maybe that's it too maybe it's just cooler <laughs> it's, it's i mean there's nothing there's no comparison with something that's called psychomancer and it's yeah, a, no, right. appears to be constructing a digital skull utilizing a series of dr octopus vacuum cleaners yeah like, like psychic <laughs> power like making people crazy yeah it's definitely got the flavor win and it, it's a lot cheaper than uh agent of the iron throne so that is definitely in its favor as well. I didn't have a whole lot for red. Uh, some of them are interesting. We got one that gives all your creatures trample, one that gives a creature double strike. We've seen we have sort of those options already. I do like the Herald of Slanesh for two and a red. It's a 2-2 demon, uh, and it says its rules text is demon spells you cast cost two less to cast, and other demons you control have haste. I I simply I just love the fact that it it, it references demons. It is a demon. Its flavor is demons. Everything about this is demonic and horrific. Uh, it is mono red, so that definitely limits our choices. But strictly on a flavor aesthetic point of view, I really like this card. So I don't think it's very good in mono red, but I like it. I don't know that there's much we can do with it. If it, if you could pair it with something black, then I think it, oh, it would be God, incredible. Yeah. yeah, that'd be amazing. If it was in Rakdos. Mm-hmm. Sort of the same with Noise Marine. If you can pair Noise Marine with anything blue or white, yeah. <laughs> then you can flicker it and it gets out of control. But like, you can't oh, flicker right. it in mono red. So yeah, and they made these um, at least on the uncommons. I haven't obviously looked too much at the mythics and rares other than Everflowing Chalice. Uh, but it seems like on the uncommon creatures, they made them very, very special, like very unique, but very under control like yeah there's nothing super crazy going on here i agree so i like that and they didn't like sort of take mechanics that everyone is used to and just sort of reword them to warhammer you know standards like these are fairly unique like if i were to read this rules text in a year i would probably equate this to a warhammer card 
So, um, and the only other one, I, I I was like you, Dave. I'm not not a huge fan of the green ones. The only other one I did want to talk about is obviously the Orzov one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Primaris Chaplin. I am. It, it's a cleric. It's a three three cleric. It's great. The art is great. It's Orzov. It's great. But I'm not a fan of the card. Mm-hmm. Like I don't care. Like if I'm if I'm strictly playing an Orzov PDH deck, the last thing I want to do with my Orzov commander is attack with it. It is there for other purposes. It's there to drain people out, it's there to draw cards, it's there to do something other than attack. Like this one is a very aggressive cleric. It has battle cry, so when it attacks, all each other attacking creature gets plus one plus oh until the end of turn. And then it has keyword hyphen whenever Primaris Chaplin attacks, it gains indestructible until the end of turn. Like, I'm not interested in either one of those on a commander. I like having Battlecry creatures in my 99, like in my deck, but I don't have any interest in the rules box of this card whatsoever. Holy crap, Wizards Praying, Orzov Commander Brad Walker. I know, right? Like, if it it was mono-white and it had the same exact rules text, that'd be great. I love being aggressive in mono-white. Mono-black with the same rules text, great. I love just swinging in with with demons and you know nightmares and all that gloopy terrifying black creatures but just on orzov that's not what i want to do i I don't want to be swinging in and it's already four mana to begin with it's only a three three you know you swing in once sure it becomes a four three but it it's just dead and now it's going to cost you six mana it doesn't battle cries each other oh yeah yeah. each other yeah there you go it becomes it becomes indestructible though it does become indestructible I feel like it's just not not what I want to do. I feel like this guy suffers enormously from getting printed like a few weeks after Aaron Benalia's ruin. And uh, after like two of the best Orzov commanders we've ever seen. I don't don't even really care about Ellis. Like Ellis is very Ellis is the aristocrats Orzov. Like yeah, this Prismari guy wants to be the go wide Orzov. Like go wide and attack and be aggressive. And like as a four mana three three that gives your guys plus one temporarily you're comparing it to the three mana three three aaron who puts plus one plus one counters on your guys like yeah and his sacrifice uh, ability synergizes with the rest of your deck right like uh, yeah it's just it's a bad yeah. it's a bad time to be a prismari's chaplain yeah even if we had like if right now i think we only have two white creatures at common that have battle cry i would say for me personally we'd have to have like eight or ten for me to build this deck Eight or ten Battlecry creatures for me to build a Chaplain deck. Hmm. Are there eight or ten Battlecry? I have no idea. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I think in Magic. But I know we only have two at white, so... No, I'm not interested in it. Just wanted to give my two cents on that. But yeah, other than that, my my picks pretty much lined up with everybody else's. Looks like some fun stuff. There's a lot of... I like what they did with blue. You know, the, the human soldier artifacts, that sort of thing. There seems to be a lot of cascade. A lot of flying creatures going around. So yeah, looks like a pretty fun set. Next, I think that pretty much wraps up our Warhammer little set review. Those are any parting words you guys have for the set, or you just excited to get your hands on some new commanders and some reprints? I'm just excited for reprints, honestly. Like, the darkness is, is yeah. big. I will say, budget allowing, I tend to like to go for the uh, popular aesthetic of using the original common printing of cards sure yep mm-hmm. which kind of upsets me of the go for the throat and the unstable obelisk with the <laughs> original common printing being in this however they both have acceptable art that isn't terribly overwhelmingly 40k uh so it's fine yep there you go my my parting words for this set are 
I'm definitely buying the Grixis deck. I'm just going to sleeve it and put it in a box and leave it leave it whole and unedited, unaltered. I just I think that the the aesthetic is really cool. I think the mechanics are really cool. I'm really excited to get my hands on these cards and play around with them. Uh, I don't even deal. I don't even like EDH, but I'm like I'm, I'm here for it. <laughs> hey, I've done that too. I I bought the um I can't remember what set it came out of now, but the party time precon obviously Commander I bought Legends. that, sleeved it up, but yeah, it's just sitting in my closet. Great. So, just because I wanted my hands on it. Yeah. So someday I'll find a group of people who like really enjoy precon EDH. Without any hey, stupid I'll, nonsense, I'll, I'll jam some precons with you. I don't let's, even know how to update them and make them good. Let's do it. Let's play precon EDH sometime. Yeah, hell yeah! I don't. I don't usually play precons, but I do build EDH decks that cost like twenty bucks. So same thing. <laughs> you play uh, precon level. I guess. I guess you're invited if we can't find a fourth. I'll allow it. Just because he's on wow. the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just buy a precon. You can be a cool kid too. I, Spend spend your money. Capitalism compels you. Yeah. There you go. Also, speaking of spending your money, wizards, let us get, get us in on this this cheddar. Like we're 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 selling the product. Yeah. Cut us in, man. Ooh. Get at us. Yeah. I I will take one penny for every set of precons sold, and I'm sure that's fair. I could still make a pretty penny off that. A pretty good buck. I agree. All right, well, goodbye, Warhammer. We'll get you, get our hands on you soon. Uh, we actually do have some listener questions this week. Thank you, Liam. Thank you, Liam. Yes. Uh, to start them off right here, we got looks like we got three or four of them. I'll just start with the first one. We have Common Commander. They were on the show once. Awesome guests. They ask, what is your pauper pet card, the one that you put into decks, even when it's not synergistic or particularly good? For me, I kind of have two. One, the the first one, if it's if it has colored pips, it's probably Gift of Orzova. I, I just <laughs> love it. If the colored pips work out, I'm trying to jam it in there, and I either never cast it, never want to cast it because it doesn't feel right, or it just the creature dies right away. Like it just it never works out. It always ends up getting cut out of the deck. I but I just love it. You know, it's, it's such a cool um, enchantment. It's got everything that I literally literally want an an enchantment to do, uh, and to kind of go along with that is ephemerate it just stuck in my head now that if i'm playing planes i gotta have ephemerate even if there's not a creature that benefits from <laughs> from an etb ability i jam it in there for some reason but i don't know if that really counts because ephemerate on its own is is a stellar card i mean it can and then, it can be a protection spell in a pit that's true and i have used it that way but yeah for me it's just like oh playing planes okay gotta have ephemerate <laughs> for for colorless spells i know we talked about it before the show when you when you asked me why my reasons was were for this, but I chose Iker Wellspring. I I just look at the card and I'm like, oh, that's two free cards at least. I get to draw two cards off that one, so I jam it in. Just about every deck I make, you know, I'll pull out the initial cards, like whatever I have in my head before I build the deck around it, and that's almost always one of them. It it almost always ends up getting cut in the first wave of edits, but it's always in there because I always think it's going to be super, like way better than it is, and I always end up casting it on like turn six when I just wish it was a creature instead. So. Brad, your sixty card is showing. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where my ephemerate and Iker Wellspring love come from. Like, I, uh, anyway, but yeah, it, and that probably is my sixty card side showing because the sixty card popper format's been nothing but affinity for the last year. So Iker Wellspring's been everywhere, even the Boros decks, you know, all that stuff. So 
But I think you're up next, Dave. What do you got? What's your pet card that's not synergistic or particularly good? The, the card that goes into every deck is Scare Tiller for me, mm-hmm. except that I don't know if that's a valid answer to this question because Scare Tiller is always synergistic and always good. And the question is asking about card, cards that aren't good that you put into the deck anyway. So I think on on that axis, card, cards that like aren't particularly good but that I insist on running in my decks, I think the single card answer is probably Trumpet Blast because uh, I like that it was one of the original versions of that effect. I guess Army of Alarm yeah. was sooner. That's but, a fun one. Uh, is, Trumpet Blast was the original red version of this effect. Lately, Trumpet Blast has been getting like dunked on savagely by new cards like pack attack <laughs> which is one more power and also draw a card also draw a card <laughs> like, yeah fine and, and ca- cards like you know ambitious assault which is just the exact same card but you know, sometimes you draw a card i think the reason that i still like insist on trying to run trumpet blast anyway is that trumpet blast doesn't say creatures you control trumpet blast says attacking creatures get plus two plus oh which means mm-hmm. that if if one of your opponents is attacking a different one of your opponents you can you can ruin their combat like you can you can make that way more <laughs> exciting and interesting for them uh if you're having a bad game and you don't have the 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 attackers that you need so yeah. i think that's really fun i also just put madness everywhere even when i shouldn't <laughs> like this isn't a specific that part. is a good one i that's just a real like good one like every single time I build a red deck, I'm like, uh, I need some card selection, so I'll run, you know, Thrill of Possibility and like Electric Revelation and stuff, and then I'll I'll look at those and I'll be like, oh, I have like four cards that make me discard. Yeah, they want madness. I need Fiery Temper and Alchemist's Greeting uh-huh. and Reaver of Scophos. And it's like, no, you don't. Like Alchemist's Gre- yeah. without that discard effect, Alchemist's Greeting costs five mana. Like you're never gonna yeah. actually cast that. That's a terrible card, <laughs> but like it's in there. That's that's it for me. Ma- madness where madness doesn't belong. In Those are good blast. ones. Those are good ones. Yeah. So I think uh, your my, your first one here, Liam, is questionable. My dishonest answer to this of my pop of pet cards is Bondo's ornament. Not because I don't <laughs> stuff it in every deck. I do. It goes it goes in every deck. So I I have found two in the same deck before. But it's because it's <laughs> it is synergistic with everything and it is really good. Um, because yeah, it's mana lift, but. I swear every time I, I draw it and I play it, I draw three to four cards off of it, whether it's me activating it or, or Brad activating it for me. Mm-hmm. Yep. Still that game. I think I activated it twice that game. You activated it like six times. Thanks. Yeah, I was I was burning through yeah. the deck. And, and I, I love the artwork on it. So like it's just it's one of my favorite cards of all time. And I know it only came out two years ago, but it's just it's beautiful and I love it. My honest answer for this is I have two cards. Uh, the first one is Ornithopter. And it's just because it's a good card. Like, it's it's a zero mana creature, yes. Uh, it is zero two, but it has flying, and it's an artifact. So bear with me. Anything that cares about artifacts, it counts. It is a flying blocker that you get for free. It increases affinity count. It increases storm count. And it's a good card. It usually ends yep. up in the, uh, the, the the draft lists. I can't honestly think of an actual deck it's ended up in except for Yuggle. Because it's just funny when an ornithopter smacks <laughs> someone for twelve. <laughs> it's just funny, yeah. but uh, yeah, it's I, I like that card. It usually ends up in my draft lists, but almost never in my actual list. And then my my final card. Can 
can I can I talk about Ornithopter real quick first? Of course. Okay. The the important fact about Ornithopter that I need everyone to know is that the the ice the Ice Age rule book ends with uh, a, a a series of special thanks to all the people that were you know playtesting and helping design the game. There's, so there's a lot of special thanks right at the very end of the last page. There's some copyright stuff. And right in between them is the most important sentence in the Ice Age rulebook, which is, Our condolences to everyone who has been killed by an ornithopter. <laughs> wizards, if you have died to ornithopter, Wizards has literally apologized to you specifically in print in the Ice Age rulebook. Okay, That's I now need a copy of that rulebook. I really hope that's <laughs> yes, expensive. I'm gonna hunt one down. I'm sure they're on eBay. All right. Oh yeah. My so, or so 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 for those who don't know, Ornithopter is also my favorite magic card, just in general. You know, barring all legality. If I'm picking my favorite popper legal card, uh, that is that is, you know, generally playable, is Frantic Search. The, the two and a blue draw two, then discard two, then untap three lands. It's just a good draw spell. Yeah, I agree. You're not. You're not. Good. You're not going to say his name. Say whose name? I wouldn't Frantic Search's name. I wouldn't say okay. Ulf. I need. I needed you to <laughs> say the word Ulf. Yes. Okay. Lord and Savior. Ulf. Okay. The next question. All right. From yeah. uh, Chev, who was uh, another guest on our show a couple episodes back. In your opinions, what is the most complicated keyword slash ability slash etc. In PDH, where layering or the stack gets complicated. Brad, you want to start? Ooh, this question's almost complicated. Uh, yeah, mine mine was. Granted, I I suffer from not reading cards properly, so that's probably my most complicated keyword for myself. A lot of mine, my first one here comes down to a lot of paper matches I've played uh, in person, IRL, flanking, man, like. You're going wide, and your opponent's going wide with with two slivers that give all their slivers flanking, and it's a big combat. And suddenly, I have to do all the math, and it just it just feels weird. Like it's one of those that like when it's happening, I just have to trust my opponent that they're being honest that they killed my creatures. <laughs> it just doesn't. I get it, but it takes me entirely too long to do the math on it. Brad, did you I know? Think be- did you know that you can you can completely avoid your creatures shrinking from flanking using mm-hmm. what there's there's two tricks to this okay I'm one ready. one trick to make sure that your creatures never shrink from flanking is to make sure that all of your creatures have flanking <laughs> Flank, all right. flanking flanking blockers <laughs> do not shrink when they block flanking attackers because That's they're also true. they do not the better way this is the this is the more super secret better technique for making sure that your okay. creatures never shrink to flanking. Ready. Don't block. I love that. I'm like, yeah, I don't I don't feel like dealing with it. Just come at me. <laughs> I'm helping. Your life is a resource. Just, That's amazing. just I'm spend gonna, it. I'm gonna write that down. Yeah. Yep, I'm gonna write that down. Yeah. This is what I'm here for. Um, the next one I put on here, I see I think Dave's probably gonna have a little more to say about this one, but I put mutate. I always end up messing it up. So but I'll let Dave take that one. Uh, yeah, so the my my instant reaction to this question is mutating a parcel beast onto a land that has been animated with a life spark spell bomb is I think the most complicated stack layers weirdness that you can get in magic because uh, depending on whether you put the parcel beast on top of the land 
or underneath the land that changes the permanent that you end up with at end of turn when the life spark spell bomb's ability finishes dissolving. Right. Like, if you put the parcel beast on top, then you have a creature land. No, you do. Do you get the types? You have a creature. It's not a land. It's not a forest. But you have a you have a two. It 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 still has the ability to tap for a green mana. But it's not a land. See, it's anymore. even hard to explain. But if you put the parcel beast underneath the forest, then the turn ends and it stops being a creature. Then you have a a land with the parcel beast's ability to pay one and uh, look at the top card and put it into play if it's a land, which can be useful if you're trying to like dodge. If you want that parcel beast ability, but you're trying to like dodge murders and lightning bolts and like creature removal. You just tuck it under a land and then, like, have access to that ability. <laughs> like, hope no one boomerangs your forest or whatever. No, it's it's yeah. a it's a weird, awkward mess. I'm almost confused. I'm looking at the, the life spark uh, spell bomb. And if you animate a basic land and then put Parcel Beast on top, I'm not convinced you can tap it for mana. Because the ability to tap a basic for mana inherently comes from its type. Uh... Yeah, yeah, I don't think it has the types anymore. I'm, I think I'm, you just lose access to that land? As a land. Now, if, if you use, yeah. like, a non-basic land where it doesn't have land types, like, you know, a campus, you still have the ability to tap for mana because the, 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 the ability to tap for mana is actually part of that text box and not right. inherited from types. Yeah. But I think no, that I... inheritance from types screws with mutate. God. I'm not entirely sure. I, I always think, have to look it up. I think that you're probably right. So that's that's the case where I think layering gets really awkward. Yes. The case where I think the stack gets really awkward is when people respond to the storm trigger on a spell. So like, this is a big problem with Witherbloom Apprentice. Is uh, if you're playing the Apprentice deck, which uh, is supposed to do its life drain trigger for every time you cast or copy a spell. If you've had a good turn, you play like two or three spells. Maybe one of them gets countered, so the storm counts at if the storm count is at like four or five ish. If you play Chatterstorm, uh, a lot of people think that you know the storm happens immediately and you'll just you'll instantly drain the table for like six off of the Wither Bloom. But uh, Chatterstorm goes on the stack. The storm trigger goes on the stack. Witherbloom Apprentice's one trigger for having cast a spell goes on the stack, and then priority starts to pass around. And you can kill the Witherbloom Apprentice before the storm trigger resolves, because that storm trigger resolving is what creates the copies. Right. So before that trigger resolves, the copies don't exist. If you can kill the Witherbloom before the storm trigger resolves, then you don't you don't get drained for the other like five life you still take the one from casting the original chatterstorm but not the other five from the copies so this is an important psa real quick interruption. it's a good psa uh, mm -hmm. checking checking on the mutate ruling with uh basic lands and type inheritance i was correct uh if you the 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 mutate pile only has the types of the topmost card so if mm. you mutate over top of a basic land you lose the ability to tap the mana because it will no longer have the basic text. So you just you've mutated on top of a card that functionally has a blank text box. Yep. And there's no benefit to this. That's <laughs> <Yep>. beautiful. <laughs> That's wild. So my my answer to this, I, I'm assuming you're done, Dave. Yeah, I'm finished. Right. So my answer to the most complicated keyword slash ability is 
also mutate. Yeah. <laughs> but but because of a different reason, not because of any like fun interactions, uh, but because wizards looked at this keyword and when they were adding it to the comprehensive rules, they didn't add a mutate section to the comprehensive rules. No, 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 that would have made sense. They added a section called merged permanence. Oh, God. Which tells us that they intend to do this again. And yeah. when they do, it may not be mutate. It's coming back. So, Can't stop, won't stop. Yeah, <laughs> so it's it's a hot mess. I will say that I've been uh, theorycrafting my own mechanics since mutate came out uh, for when, you know, Great Designer Search 6 comes out. I'm going to I'm going to approach them with weld which is mutate but for non-creature artifacts. Mm, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And and you get like bonuses. Like like all the weld gods have, you know, when this when when you weld this artifact to uh, another or whatever, you know, do good thing. Yeah. Yeah. So so it's the merging with permanence. I love that idea so much, but I also hate it from a judge perspective. Um, yeah, it's very cool design space. It is really cool design space. And I wish they would do more of that because I really liked it and I love responding to mutate questions. Um, I also love looking it up because the answer is never in the mutate section. It's it's always in some other section of the comprehensive rules. So yeah, it's it's great. When it comes to you know where the stack gets complicated, I, honestly, mutate. <laughs> honestly, it does stuff on the stack too that I'm not going to get into, but... Just just look at the comprehensive rules sometime when you get curious. It it's it's a lot more complicated than what it needs. Um, and I'm pretty sure oh, I'm pretty it. sure if they no, put I believe it. you know the relevant reminder text on the card, there would not be enough space for actual rules text. So yeah. <laughs> that that's my answer, is mutate. Cool. Well I think you should um, maybe take the last question too, because well not the last question, but the next question because that is more actually it was directed Yes, this, this one was directed directly to me uh, in, a, in a opposition to the last one, which was directed to all of us. Uh, this is also from uh, Chev. He says, as a judge, what is your opinion on priority bullying in FFA games? So we, I think we all pretty much unanimously responded to that, even, even from y'all's perspective as not a judge, as uh, people shouldn't do that because that makes them big old meanie pantses, but, yeah. but with a lot more colorful words. <laughs> and we all had a slightly different definition of priority bullying but from what it sounds like is we all agree we, we can we can all agree that priority bullying is essentially mana bullying where player a casts spell that's going to win the game player b has a response but says pass right they're not gonna they're not they're not going to cast their response Player C does not have a response. They pass. Player D does not have a response. They go to pass. And player B speaks up. It's like, well, wait, wait, wait. Now that I know y'all don't have something, you know, you activate an ability or tap a land to reset priority so I can counter this spell. Mm -hmm. It's called priority bullying because you are forcing other people to to kind of respond play before the game you, you want to play. Yeah. Yeah. While while still keeping you up. Yeah, it's I mean, ideally in this situation, if you're player B trying to hold on to your counterspell, ideally you're you're forcing players C or D to use their counterspells instead of yours. Yeah. To to not lose the right, game. Right, because because you may know, hey, if I'm player B, I want to combo off next turn and I want to hold up counterspell yeah. to protect it. Yeah. So, so like yeah. and 
the ideal which I, which that's inherently part of the game, right? Like you want to yeah. protect your combos and stuff, but you don't the manipulation part is the problem. Yeah, it's it's bullying because you're forcing players C and D to use interaction if they have it. And the the real problem is like if they don't have it, you should just have lost your ability to use your counter spell because you said pass yeah, you priority. You shouldn't get you shouldn't get a second chance. But like, yeah, the player player C or D can just do anything to reset priority and just give you another chance, which is that that's that's where like the the kind of really shady bullying aspect comes in. That's like pretty sketch. And so so this is entirely legal in terms of the rules. In terms of social constructs, it it's not nice. What player B should seek to do if if this sounds like you. What player B should seek to do instead is rather than pass and then later force priority to be repassed then, they should take this opportunity to politic or just have a table discussion of, I have a response to stop this. What can you, players C and D, offer me to use this response? Right? And player yeah, and players that's the correct answer. And players C may be like, well, I have a response, and so you know, either you can use yours or I'll use mine. Right. Yeah, and that's typically how. But it if goes. but if player C and D, you know, don't have a response, you know, they may be like, you know, okay, I'll I'll offer you a turn cycle where I don't attack you, and and or I'll offer you a turn cycle where my spells don't go at you, like you know, that that's where you politic a little bit to, to for the uh, good of the game. And if you're player B, you don't have to say, well, I do have a response, but I'm saving it for my turn. Like you don't have to go into like detail about yeah. where your whole game plan is. Yeah, because it's perfectly it, yeah, it's like perfectly said, talk to him yeah, about it's it. perfectly reasonable to. You know, say you're saving it for your turn because you want to protect your spells. That's perfectly reasonable. Sure. But yeah, so I think it, it definitely is all about how you approach the, the conversation and, and if there is a conversation uh, to begin with. As, as a judge, my opinion on this uh, is I don't really like it. And I know, uh, I think it was a little over a year ago, might have been two years at this point, there was uh, someone who wrote like a, a little manifesto about it to, to Wizards of the Coast. <laughs> It's it is quite the entertaining read. I I don't think there's any actual rules grounds to fix it. Nothing can be done about realistically. It. You can't prove it. It's very ambiguous. Like... Yeah. Uh, but in in free for all games, definitely don't do it. It's it's casual. It's fun. Like you're ruining the environment by doing that. In yeah. in a competitive one v one game, I think it's see I don't know because one v one you you don't have that social aspect of expecting other people's responses. At that point, the definition shifts to you are rules loitering people uh, out of chances to respond, which in a one v one competitive environment, sure, I guess. Yeah. But that's that you know that's not me, so I don't I don't understand that mindset. But I can understand where other people are coming from. Yep, I think that was a very good response. Thank you. And then our last question for the week is from a user on Twitter who goes by at uh, ScoobyDrew Zero. And they said, aside from lands, what are your staples for new players? And by lands, I assume they mean basic lands. I, I assume probably, probably command. I, I guess they I assume non basics like like too. I assume they're okay, talking about yeah. like, you know evolving wilds and command tower and stuff like that. Okay, yeah, yeah. You know the 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 official unofficial answer is there aren't any. P <laughs> PDH is kind of a an environment where you're able to just kind of brew what you want, and it still you know works and functions. Yes, there's a slightly more competitive scene, but even still, most people are able to participate at a, a regular table. Yeah. So. When it 
there, there is a, a unofficial list. You know, the, the answer to this is kind of funny. You'll, you'll find it on Reddit where people ask, what are the staples? And uh, Dave and another person on Reddit uh, will go, there aren't any. But here's the list that it would be if there was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that list tends to feature cards like Bonda's Ornament, Honored Heirloom, uh, Scarotilla, plus uh, the fetches that we have. Stuff that's colorless that can kind of fit into any deck. Uh, yes, there are cards that could be considered staply that are in colors, but we're actually going to save those for a future episode. And I think, you know, I think though, like the Ornament, Scarotilla, obviously the fetches probably go in pretty much every deck, but, you know, Ornament and Scarotilla, things like that. I think they're staples of the format, but not necessarily staples of every deck. If that makes sense. My my short answer here is the uh, the the first and most important part of this answer is that this is a big question that I I think this is its own entire show worth of question, and I want to say absolutely discussion for that. But the the quick preview is good stuff isn't really a thing in PDH. Like the stuff that's in your ninety nine is basically almost always there to support whatever your commander is doing. And so we could talk about like archetype staples, which is something that we we do on our, our 3 by 3 series of uh, you know archetypes. We talk about the the big staple cards in each version of that, but like there kind of aren't like format staples or or, or something like that, which is which is what Liam was saying. There there aren't really format staples in in yeah. a, in a way uh, but yeah. like there, there are, there are certain cards that show up in in more decks than others, and on on like a case by case basis, we we are going to go through a lot of those cards in a, a future episode. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a excellent topic because mm-hmm. yeah, I, I don't think we're trying to like cheese out of the answer or anything. Yeah. but it is something that would require almost another hour and a half worth of talking. Yeah, yeah. Like the the rest of the staples is, I mean, find cards that do what your commander wants them to do. So like, our, our yeah. it mm-hmm. doesn't have Psychrift, it doesn't have E-Witness, like, you're not going to get, like, this card should go in every single black deck, because your different black decks are going to do different things. We don't have Soul Ring. Right, no Soul Ring. Thank or we have Arcane Signet, I guess, but like, yeah. Well, Arcane Signet, like, shouldn't go in monocolor decks, even though it does. Yeah, no, I, I think Signet's fine in monocolor decks. Yeah. Not because you just have the diamond. <laughs> signet shouldn't go. Diamonds all ETB tapped. They're much worse than Signet. No. Signet no, go diamond, shouldn't go into a colorless deck. Diamonds go in place of Signet in the monocolor deck because they enter tapped. Uh, yeah. We're just making things worse on purpose. I gotcha. I see where you're coming from. <laughs> I yeah. gotcha. I feel you. I feel you. Yeah. All it's right, it's all also right. because Arcane Signet is a dollar fifty and. I have 20 of each diamond, right. so they're much more abundant. Yeah. All right. All right. But yeah, the Staples episode is coming, so look it's for in, it. It's in the pipeline. We we got, a, we got a lot of... We have many irons in many fires. We do. We have, like, through the end of the year irons, just uh-huh. about. Yeah. It's a big fireplace. So st- stay tuned for future answers to the Staples question. Yes, absolutely. I don't think I have anything else. I was going to move into the outro, unless you guys had anything. Let's move into the outro. Let's do it. All right. We'll just do the uh, 
you know the required stuff here just a few more things before we wrap it up if you need any more popper commander talk have any questions about the format you want to know about staples you want to know about warhammer 40k lore and and deep dives and storylines don't email the show email someone else but anything else you can email the show the pdhpod at gmail.com head on over to pdh home base's website the discord server or you can find liam and i on twitter at popper command and popper underscore b respectively and as always, you can find Dave as Alcadron just about anywhere else PDH is being talked about. And of course, I'll put all the links down there in the show details. I do want to give take this spot here to shout out our very first patron. We have a brand new Patreon that I just started literally yesterday. And we already have one. Woohoo! It is Paul. You'll know him as Scarecrow on Twitter. <laughs> it's, what were you going to say, Dave? It's the guy who helps me answer Staples questions on Reddit. <laughs> yes, that's it. It is the guy that referred me to Alcadron to find a, a host for the show. Yeah. Yeah, so thank you, Paul. Uh, look forward to uh, stuff coming for patron only. We're still working out the details of what we want to give patrons, but there'll be some fun stuff in there, some give back, some you know, patron-exclusive only we're, content, that's that sort of thing. We're going to get him on the show eventually. Not because he's oh, a patron, yeah, just absolutely. because like he knows more about the social media of PDH than like. Yeah, I think else. that would be a really good kind of like stats episode to just talk about the relation to form. Yeah. Yeah. And I know he has in, expressed interest in coming on one of our three by three episodes, but oh, do a four by four. We could do a four by four. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, it'd be awesome. He's a prolific brewer. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I guess as episode 16 of the PDH pod comes to a close, we want to give one last big thanks to MTG Brad for letting us use their original music for the show. And from everyone in here to everyone out there, brew a deck and play some games, and we'll see you in about a week. Peace. Cheers. See you. Party. I brought proper text at the party.